Oh, would you look at that? There's a new episode of the Black Cast on my phone, ready to play right now. Listen in the Black Cast. Carl Kennedy, who is part of a great new band called the 450s. Welcome to the show, Carl. Thanks for having me on. Uh, now, <clears> I can't me. wait to talk to you about the 450s, but uh, I always like to kind of start off about uh, what some of a musician's earliest influences were. Like, what's some of the music that you remember hearing, maybe even when you were a really little kid? What was some of the music that had the earliest influence on you? Uh, the Beatles, of course. Uh, watching sure. when I was... I think I was nine or 10 watched them on Ed Sullivan and uh, yeah. that was it, you know, like it was for millions of other drummers. And um, of course, then later on, you know, it was a vanilla fudge, karma and apathy, blue cheer, um, you know, cream, ginger Baker, Mitch Mitchell, Keith moon. And of course I got to study with Carmine apathy and, uh, and that just changed everything for me. And I also studied with Tony Williams, who was an early influence, but Carmine was the huge influence. And, uh, and studying with him just changed my drumming life. I really, up until that point, hadn't really taken formal lessons. I had a drum teacher early on who told me I sucked and I'd never be any good. <laughs> and so eventually I stopped taking lessons from him. So when I got yeah, to Carmine, that, that sounds was, like the right approach. Yeah, that definitely yeah. seems like the right approach. Uh, yeah. What was it about the drums? Was it, uh, you know, I mean, uh, you could have decided the guitar, you could have picked up anything, but what about the drums just really appealed to you? That's a really good question. When I was four and a half, I went to a wedding reception with my mother and there was a tank in front of the American Legion building where the reception was being held and walked in and it was, you know, an American Legion. So it's a little low stage and it had two gates like a cross, but there was an opening in the center. And in the center was this red drum set. And all I remember was like the white lights shone down and hallelujah singers. And literally from that moment on, I was obsessed with drums. So it was just believe my whole life, you know, I still am obsessed with drums, but, but uh, that was it from that point on. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you talked about seeing the Beatles on uh, Ed Sullivan and uh, it's great that, uh, you know, it was obviously the, the rock music from that show. I mean, you could have ended up a a plate spinner, maybe doing some puppets like Topo Gigio, you know, but Topo uh, Gigio, that's right. Could have done that. (laughs) But, uh, you know, being in some bands, being in some bands I've been in, I felt like I've been speaking to Topo Gigio at different times (laughs) in my career. (laughs) Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, the Beatles and, and drumming, since you brought it up, I mean, you know, it seems like it's a very easy thing for people to to rag on on Ringo. But obviously, mm-hmm. you know, the Beatles wouldn't be the Beatles. I mean, with, you know, a different drummer. Sure, they, they could have sounded different. But I mean, as a drummer, uh, just let's uh, take a moment to give Ringo some credit when, uh, you know, it, I mean, the Beatles shouldn't need credit. But at the same time, no, you but know, somehow it, it, I agree. Yeah. Ringo. Ringo got some kind of a bad rap along the way. His rep got took a big hit. I think it's because just like with Charlie Watts, their technique was it was all about music and feel. It wasn't about chops. Yeah. And I think as time went on, you know, drummers were getting very a lot of finesse and so on. And <clears throat> excuse me, I think for me, and I I've said this to students and people I know who diss Ringo, and I say, you know, I could teach you Ringo's basic beat. Like a doom ba doom doom ba doom ba doom doom ba, in probably an hour, I could have you playing some version of that. Right. I played that one of the first things I ever played. It's taken me fifty years to not even get close to it, just to approximate it, and still can't play it the way Ringo plays it with that feel. So it's deceptive, but Ringo had a pulse, a groove. His fills are unbelievably cool. Um, you know, what can you say? The guys, and he's been acknowledged now, finally, by great yeah. drummers, but, but no, no doubt about it. And the stuff he played was innovative. And the fact that I'm a left-handed, I'm left-handed also, but I play right-handed. And, you know, what he's saying about how your brain thinks differently, it's true. And uh, with Ringo, now everybody plays open-handed um, or should be able to play open-handed. But back then it wasn't the case. So Ringo was left-handed and that made some interesting fills for him as well because of the way he would lead off. So, but yeah, Ringo is Ringo and Charlie Watts. As much as I love so many drummers, technical drummers, Ringo and Charlie Watts are my top. Like, if I had to name three drummers that I could only listen to for the rest of my life, it would be Ringo, Charlie Watts, and John Bonham. Yeah, well, I mean, it's uh, it's it's almost like if there were only ever three drummers to do all the drumming and all the music, I think those guys could have covered everything, you know. And uh, yeah, I mean, and Charlie Watts, of course, he just always he somehow just always looked so cool. It was like I don't, you know, I'm sure there's photos of him sweating. Yeah, there's I'm sure there's photos of him sweating somewhere, but it looked like he never broke a sweat. He's just like, no, I'm just here, you know, back here. You you guys go ahead and do everything, you know. I got this back here, but. Uh, so your uh, band, The Rods, uh, first started putting out records uh, about 40 years ago, and you mm-hmm. have continued to release uh, albums under that band name and solo stuff. But explain how the 450s come about and uh, how you got to working with the guys in the 450s. Well, we go back a ways. The 450s, the guys, the two brothers, the Jacob brothers, Bob and Jim. Um, I worked with them in St. James. In fact, I was the de facto drummer. Every time we would do a session, their drummer was like Spinal Tap. Like one time the drummer <laughs> was, they fired him because he was, he was. we were trying to record and he had a little portable TV and he was on his cell phone with his mother placing bets. And they're like, what? And so finally they said, okay, go home. <laughs> Another drummer came in and I have it on YouTube. If you go to my YouTube page, 
there's a angry band girlfriend where he came up, he took photos. We were about to record or start working on pre-production. His girlfriend flipped out and it is the funniest thing because she kept calling back on voicemail. So I recorded it and I put it on YouTube, but he had to go home because his girlfriend, and then another time we were ready to record Crimes of the Heart and we had done pre-production and we were just ready to play and the drummer got sick. And then of course gave it to me. So I had this dengue fever. He left, he was gone. And I came down, it was uh, in Utica where I had my recording studio and they were lodging upstairs. And I came down and uh, knocked it out in like four hours. And they said that they still remember me lying under the console listening to playback because I was so sick and then going back out to play the drum tracks. And uh, so for St. James. Oh, I lost you there. You, you were telling you're still talking, but uh, I'm there we go. You. Okay. Oh, there you yeah, go. You're I, back. Okay, you. great. So we had been friends and I had produced them and, you know, we've been friends for years. So, in that course of time, Young Turk, another band from Miami that I produced in Madison, they were on Geffen and Virgin, and uh, they wound up uh, becoming friends. So all these years, we've all been friends. And so it was decided that uh, maybe we should work together. And uh, that's how it came about. We've known each other, and we've all been friends for a lot of years. But, uh, and this is the first time that uh, this permutation, all these guys all together, this is the first time you guys actually are like, all right, let's uh, try and uh, put out uh, this album. And the 450s album exactly right. is mm -hmm. produced by uh, Jack Douglas, which uh, must be a great opportunity when you consider, you know, some of the albums that he's worked on. I mean, it depends on the day, but my favorite album of all time might actually be Aerosmith Rocks. So mm -hmm. when you, you know, when you get the, the guy who's got his fingerprints on that. So how did you, uh, I mean, just from being in the business a while, did you know Jack or uh, how did he happen to I mean, become involved in this? We've kind of traveled in different circles. I've never actually met him, but, okay. um, you know, we have mutual acquaintances. And I think this was a case of uh, Bob, the bass player, reached out to Jack and, uh, discussed it with him and Jack actually mixed the album along with Chris Collier and Jay, his, uh, his associate. But um, the one thing we noticed with, with Jack was he had certain things that he would accentuate and pull out, but he's a brilliant guy. And uh, we were glad to have him involved in the project because it's much, much better for it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a little later, I'll ask you about uh, some of the records you worked on as a producer, but kind of talk about just your knowledge and the importance of having a producer that kind of really gets the music that uh, that you guys are actually going for. And uh, it must have uh, it must have helped for uh, him to feel that way about it. Well, it's really critical to have that. You have to have that trust. And of course, we knew that he his track record spoke for itself. So there was no sure. issue in trust. Um, <laughs> but then you see you Kind of let them, you know, you let a producer, if you have trust with the producer, you let them do what they do because that's why you've hired them. And so you basically sit back and you kind of watch what they do and you trust that their, their suggestions and their vision is correct and you don't second guess it. And uh, at the end of the day, you know, that's what you get. And, uh, you know, we're really happy that he had some very good musical suggestions. Well, uh, let's talk about the song that's out there, uh, Flowers for Columbine, which uh, is, a, is a, it's a great title. Uh, there's a video for it on the 450s YouTube page. Uh, but uh, just uh, tell us a little bit about that song. And uh, if, if you can, uh, uh, however much you're comfortable saying about the title. I know sometimes people don't want to, you know, let us behind the curtain, but uh, it, it is an interesting title. So I was kind of wondering about it. 
you know, Rhett is the singer and he's the lyricist mm -hmm. and, he, and he's phenomenal. And his lyrics are all, they're all based on events and people he knows. He didn't even change names in this. So I think it was his observation of the fact that uh, these things happen and his experiences like Gio, for example, Gio was a, fr was a friend of his and, uh, you know, wound up ODing. And so living in Miami, you know, you see a lot of this type of thing, the violence, the casualties, the drug, and he's just a great lyricist and he's great at bringing things to life to animate them in his stories and his lyrics when he sings. So um, I thought it was an interesting version of this song that he came up with. Yeah. And uh, for our uh, visual listeners, you can actually see the uh, video right now, but otherwise you can go to the 450s uh, YouTube page. Now uh, is, uh, I, you know, that the room that you guys are in, it looks like it could be a studio. It also just might be a little room that uh, a music room you guys are playing in. Is this a recording studio or is this just you guys uh, playing it for the video? We recorded in that studio. And if you watch the video, a little bit mm -hmm. of trivia, there are clown heads up above behind me. Behind Okay. Yeah. We'll take, I'll look for the next there. I, oh, I saw you, but oh, I do. I see some heads back there. Uh, they, I guess that's behind. They me. are yeah. the original. They are the original killer clowns from outer space. The original <laughs> from the movie. Wow. But it's okay. a, but it's a studio. And despite all the crap that's in the room, it's a great sounding room. And so that's what we recorded. In fact, what happened was the night we were, I was to go to the writing session. We were all meeting in Atlanta for a writing session. I had injured my shoulder. I can't remember what was up, but something was, I couldn't sit. I was just in that kind of, when you injure your shoulder, your back, you know, you're mm -hmm. just in agony and you can't sit. I couldn't get on the plane. So everybody else met and they wrote the songs and which was fine because honestly, I think, you know, maybe I would have, uh, putting my fingers in the pie might not have helped anything. I think we were better off just letting Rhett, Rhett and Jimmy work on the material themselves. So great songs. So when I get to Miami, I really didn't hear the material, hadn't heard the material really. So we ran it down and I made a couple of suggestions, but very minor for arrangements and we just knocked it out. So what you're hearing is everybody playing live and that, which is an unusual concept because look, you got five musicians in a room all playing live together, count it off, play, end at the same time. It's like a novel thing. I don't do that anymore because I record my drums here at home. And, right. uh, you know, so this was a great experience. Bob and I, all those tracks are live. And I think it gives it an urgency, a feel that we wouldn't have had if had we done it uh, remotely. Yeah, no, and I mean, I think that uh, that was <laughs> the noteworthy thing about it is that, uh, you know, you see everybody's actually there playing together and especially uh, musicians I've talked to that have recorded material over the last year and a half. It seems like it's been much more common for people to just send each other the the different tracks and, you know, files <clears> back <throat> and forth me. and mm -hmm. working together on Zoom and all that. So, uh, yeah, but I think that... Uh, you know, I'm I'm not a musician, but I've listened to enough music that uh, there's definitely times where you can tell the difference between, you know, guys in a room together uh, and, you know, it can all be good. But uh, I think that, uh, you know, for the song that I've heard, it seems like it's uh, it's it's well represented that uh, everybody actually got together. 
so the band is on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and even Linktree at the 450s band. So those are all places you can do. Uh, you, those are all places you can go to to find information on how to pre-order the album. Now, I love the name of the record label. Uh, take a moment to talk about Louder Than Loud Records, which is one of those great names because it tells you everything you need to know. Uh, and you're actually one of the founders of that label. I am Giles, Giles Lavery, who manages B, The Rods. Um, he manages Kennedy, The 450s. He, um, he and I discussed starting a label. And so this came about, um, we talked with Bob and we decided that maybe we should start a label and, uh, but which is so complicated and so involved and so financially onerous, you know, it's, it's not an easy thing to put all the pieces together, but um, we said, you know what, maybe we should do it. And, um, and so that's what we did. We decided we would have the control and louder than loud was a song title that, um, you know, I had for the last rods album, brotherhood of metal. And uh, so Giles suggested that we use that. And I thought we all thought that's a brilliant name for the label. It's perfect. Exactly what, what we need for a label title, you know, for the name of the label. Yeah. And, uh, and so you, uh, you, you signed yourself to it. The four fifties are on it. And, uh, but mm -hmm. uh, what I was reading in the notes is that there's also the idea of, you know, looking for some archival stuff that maybe needs to be reissued and that sort of stuff. So that must be, a, you know, a fun process we, to try and figure out. It is. We have some projects coming that we'll be announcing that I think people right. will be excited about. So uh, in terms of the 450s in particular, uh, are there plans for, obviously plans for performing live are uh, very complicated right now. Uh, some people do it. Some people think they're going to do it and then realize they can't do it. And, uh, and you know, there's all these different ways to do it. So, uh, are there plans for a live show somewhere later this year, next year? What are, what are you guys thinking? We we keep talking and trying to bounce ideas. We're talking about maybe doing some shows in Connecticut, Atlanta, mm. Miami. It's you know it's tough because it's tough to get a footing because you set a date and then people are canceling tours, concerts, yeah. and so on. And then others go off without a hitch. But it's just a question of you know for us. We live in different areas regionally, geographically, we are distance. And so as a result of that, in order for it to bring us all together, it's three airfares plus whatever. So, you know, we keep trying to logistically work it out and hopefully we will, we all want to play. We love to play these songs yeah. live. So we'll see. I mean, we're hoping we can get something together soon. Uh, you know, in terms of uh, live performances, uh, I was kind of, uh, you know, when we were talking earlier about, you know, you were seeing the the Beatles on that Sullivan. What was the first concert you went to that had an impact? It might, maybe not the first time you saw live music, but uh, do you remember early on going to a show that uh, just really blew you away? I do. It was uh, the animals. And uh, I remember being backstage and, you know, the drums were there and they're, they're a small kit. I remember that, but at the time I thought it was really cool. Yeah. And, uh, you know, then the roadies like, come on guys, stay back. You know, but we we're all like, look at this, you know, look at this <laughs> gear, look at this. But you know, that was a great show. I, and I still love all those animal songs, you know, don't let me be misunderstood. Um, don't bring me down. Um, you know, so many of those great songs when I was young, it's still a great, there's just so many of them. In fact, I did a remake of, um, don't bring me down. And, uh, so, you know, that'll come out at some point, just did it for this oh, cool. myself. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
In terms of uh, your own history performing live, uh, I have to ask about uh, the Rods open for Ozzy on the Blizzard of Oz tour. So uh, just even being backstage and, and hearing Randy Rhodes every night, I mean, that must have been uh, crazy to just uh, just be in the building, you know? Well, the first night we did the Landmark Theater in Syracuse, and we're in our dressing room, <clears throat> excuse me, and suddenly we hear this riffing, which now, of course, is very common to hear someone play like Ingve or Randy Rhodes, but yeah, not sure. the way he played in Ozzy. It was a whole different thing. And so to hear a Steve Vai kind of playing or Satriani, and that's what we were hearing, and it was totally new to us. We just hadn't heard anyone play that kind of blazing sweep picking and incredible stuff. And it was so loud. He must have had a half a Marshall stack in his dressing room. <laughs> but we literally couldn't. We would talk and our lips would move. We couldn't hear anything we said. That's how loud it was in our dressing room. So you can imagine where Randy was. <laughs> but the nicest guy, you know, everybody on the tour was cool, um, at least that first night. And I remember it was a big thrill for me because I was a big um, Tommy Aldridge fan and, you know, stole so much from him including I used to wear wristbands, which I no longer do. I once in a great while, but, but I used to wear wristbands all the time, and uh, which I thought were a great idea when you're, you're sweating. And uh, I remember playing my drum solo, and I see um, Tommy Aldridge looking through the side curtain, watching me play, and I was like, oh, my God, this is the coolest thing with my idols. And then, of course, he darted back, and, you know, I didn't see him again. So, so, but anyway, it was a, it was great, you know, it was great to be on, on those dates. Yeah, no, no. I mean, I can, I can imagine to, uh, you know, just <laughs> to have that sort of, uh, yeah, I like the description of it being that loud backstage. So you can only imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, uh, and, uh, you know, earlier I did reference the fact that you worked as a producer and, you know, when I was reading about that, uh, you worked with uh, Anthrax a number of times, but the most interesting thing I found is that you convinced them to get rid of the singer that they were working with and then ultimately brought in Joey Baldana. But talk about just being able to say to, I don't, I don't know how well you knew the guys, but to be like, look, this just isn't going to work with the guy you've got. Uh, and then obviously you continued to work with them. So I, they must've uh, appreciated your honesty. I think so. From the first time I met Anthrax, they were young and talented and, you know, I was fortunate, fortunate enough to be able to work with, those kind of musicians. But I saw in them a focus and a drive similar to what I had. And uh, so when they, we did the Fistful of Metal album, Neil was phenomenal. And Neil Turbin is still phenomenal. Uh, however, when they went off and went on the road, it was not, they just didn't mesh apparently. So when they came back, um, Neil was gone and they had this Matt um, Fallon, Fallon, I'm not sure. I have yeah, to I heard, yeah, he'd been in Skid Row at one point. I mean, I guess that's after this, but yeah. Mm -hmm. So Matt, yeah. Matt was with them, and uh, but and then Dan Looker was gone. Dan Looker was so brilliant, you know, obviously Nuclear Assault and SOD, and Dan was gone. So now you know it was a whole different thing. So Frank came in, and Frank was just the nicest guy, and and you know Frank was a little inexperienced, but you know he got up to speed fast. But Matt was young, and I think he was just, he was partying. And, you know, what I said to the guys after the week was, you know, this guy, this isn't the singer's going to get you to the major label. You have to remember that that time, 
they weren't on island. They did not have a major label. They were with right. Megaforce and they were trying to get to a major label. So true to form, these guys were focused. So despite the risk, the terror of not having a singer, oh my God, this is, we've got to finish it no matter what. They said, well, you know, give Johnny a call. So I called Johnny, told him how I felt. Johnny said, put them on the phone. I sent them into the conference room. Three minutes later, they walk in and said, John wants to talk to you. And I go, hey, John. And he goes, put him on a bus. And he hung up. <laughs> was it. It was done. And so then we had no singer. And so I reached out to looking around and you know trying to network. And I reached out to um, Andrew Duck McDonald, the guitarist that uh, he and I did the Thrasher album together. And so he suggested Joey. And so I called Joey and we brought him in. And, uh, yeah, it was magic. I mean, it was a... Joey had been singing basically Steve Perry journey type of music, but somehow when he came in and started learning the anthrax songs and singing them, it was, you know, I hate to say magical, but it was, it was really special. And uh, there was no doubt that there was a, the synergy that came from that chemistry that what he brought to the songs and for my money, taking nothing away from the great singers in, in the band, Joey is the voice of anthrax for me. Yeah. Yeah. And just think about what it did for his career to not continue to sing like Steve Perry. You know, I think, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Steve Perry can't sing like, sing like Steve, Steve Perry. Perry that's right. That's right. Sadly, <laughs> so, Steve Perry can't sing like Steve Perry. Yeah. But he certainly exactly. gave it a good run for a lot of years. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. Uh, and then the, uh, the last thing I wanted to ask you about was uh, I also read that you worked with Ronnie James Dio and uh, you know, he, it's, it's sort of well known that uh, he could nail a song on the first take. Now, did you find that to be the case uh, or uh, you know, did it to take a little bit of, you know, did you have to do two takes? No, David had told me for years early on with the elves and elf, the bass player in the band I was in, we rehearsed in the Finnish garage area. Mm -hmm. And they were elf rehearsed in the house because the guitarist and bass player from the two different bands room together. So that's where the bands rehearsed. So I would see those guys back then and I knew them and they would come out to see, you know, the band I was in. But uh, I didn't really ever do a recording session or wa watch a recording session with Ronnie, but David would always tell me that. Okay. Ronnie was a one take guy. Well, he's a one take guy. So, you know, Ronnie's David's cousin, Ronnie, you know, they were in bands together. I mean, David almost joined Dio, the later version of Dio. Uh, Ronnie asked him to come back and uh, he was just unable to because of his commitments. He has a restaurant and his children were young and he was going to, but you know, at the end it just, those pressures were too much, but you know, I would hear this and I would think, well, you know what? He's your family. You love him. You know, like the memories, like, was he, you know, really a one take? I'm like, yeah, I've worked with so many great singers. Nobody's a one take. Just not the way it <laughs> right. is, you know? You can't, to get phrasing, timing, intonation, and so on. That's a bitch, you know, to get that all in one. So Ronnie came in and it's exactly what he did. And now when he sang The Code, which was a song that I wrote, right. I was... He's like, well, Carl, I'm, you know, I'm going to make a little change here. Is that okay? I'm like, carte blanche, Ronnie. Like, what am I, <laughs> what am I going to say? There's this crappy vocal that I did as the demo, right? For him to have, it was yeah. embarrassing enough for him to have to listen to it. And then for him to have to ask, but that's how kind he was, you know, to ask and respectful to ask my permission 
to change something a little bit in my song, the melody a little bit, or the way he phrased the words. And, uh, but that was it. Then he sang it. And he, one time he said, I'm going to re-sing it, but I want to sing it differently. And so the one time he did it, a second take, it was not to correct, but to change. And it, I was in awe. I, and then he was singing Metal Will Never Die. One take. And uh, it, it was like, wow, you weren't kidding. <laughs> you go, see, I told you. I'm like, yeah, but I thought after all these years, you know, your memory kind of faded about it. And, you know, you always kind of painted a rosy picture. And, uh, and now it's true. He was at least my experience watching him on two songs, yeah. one take, and and unreal, unreal what he brought to it. I mean, he, and I said, Ronnie, I can't believe he goes, yeah, that's what I do. I'm a singer. Like very yeah, humble. Well, I love you. I love what you said in that. Uh, you know, he asked if it was all right. You know, like you're going to be like, Ronnie, don't ruin my song. What are you doing here? You know. Yeah, no, <laughs> but, uh... hey, dude, dude, listen. That's you know my lyrics my melody and uh, we're not changing anything you know get it right and uh, you know it was like it was like but it was so respectful it took me by surprise and of course you know i was just so happy and it wasn't yeah. like he took did crazy license but he just improved his just the little things he did improved it so much yeah you know, no no really definitely. really was a genius at what is his craft yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, as I mentioned, we've been talking to Carl uh, Kennedy. Uh, the band is The 450s. They're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Linktree, The 450s Band. So go to any of those places or all those places and you can find more information on how to pre-order the album. Uh, is there an uh, expected date that uh, the album will be ready for people or uh, is it uh, November? Just... No November 19th. November 19th so, is the release date. So, mm -hmm. so less than a month and uh, you'll be able to get it at uh, all those places. Well, Carl, it's been uh, nice getting to meet you and uh, great talking to you. And I look forward to hearing more from the 450s. You too. And thank you for the support. Right now, welcome back to the show, musician Austin Moe, who has a tremendous new song out called Unwanted. Austin, welcome back to the show. Great to see you again. Thanks for having me. It's a great honor. And uh, you and I talked about a year ago. You were out there talking about a song called The River. Uh, so let's uh, just kind of touch base. How has the past year gone for you? You know, when we talked then, there weren't really a lot of gigs out there to do, really, most places. But uh, now, even where I live in Southern California, I was talking to a band a little bit earlier, and now even here, 
you know, I use the example of when the Whiskey Go-Go is open for business, that tells me that uh, you can have shows pretty much anywhere, you know, oh, <laughs> like yeah. like Definitely. last summer you were I was mostly talking to bands who were like, yeah, we played in a field in Colorado and uh, <laughs> you know, it was really spread out. And, uh, you know, when when the the whiskey and the troubadour are open here in L.A., it's uh, it, 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 it's uh, all systems go. So uh, where are you now versus a, a year ago? What have you done over the last uh, 12 months, really? Well, the last 12 months, going back to um, the river that was released in yeah. December, I want to say I th I think it was 19th. So yeah, that'll be I, coming up on a year now. Yeah, that, that that's. So, uh, I was surprised it had been that long since I talked to you, but I looked through my old notes and I'm like, oh, that was in the middle of December last year. So yeah, yeah. yeah so that'll be cool to celebrate. It'll be like my first like anniversary. It's of your. A song, you it's know? your riverversary. That's right. You can use. Yeah. That. That's that's yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. So you know. With the pandemic and everything being shut down, um, it also, unfortunately, you know, closed down 100% for the most part of the clubs in the U.S. Sure. But the pro that I experienced from most of the cons that, you know, was plaguing the United States is all the rock stars were at their house, too. They couldn't go anywhere, really. I mean, for probably over six to eight months, nothing was happening for a majority of the music scene. Yeah, unless sure. unless you were doing a virtual concert and, you know, sold tickets like that. But outside of the Internet, live music was not a thing. So that enabled me to have the great honor of working with Frank Cannon of Tesla and being mentored by him and having him show me how to write songs in his process and with that came the river and we also released another single i believe it was either the beginning of this year or probably a couple months in it but that was called take a walk in my shoes and we wrote that based off of what was going on in the world with a lot of division and stuff like that so sure. that was kind of like my interpretation of what was the status of the United States. But now we just released on the 17th of November, uh, take, or no, 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 I'm wanted. <laughs> yeah. And uh, that was a real blast getting to record with Frank again. And we recorded actually take a walk in my shoes and I'm wanted and another song in the same session over a weekend. And it was just, it was a blur, but it was a good blur. Because in the studio, you know, if once things start really going, it's just hard to keep track of what happened and and what was kind of a dream, if that makes sense. No, it absolutely makes sense. You know, <laughs> as uh, someone who's just a fan of music, you know, I mean, I can I, I can watch, you know, in studio documentaries. You know, I mean, there was one when I was a kid that was about Aerosmith making pump and, you know, we're about to get this uh this six hour peter jackson beatles documentary about making let it be and i i have a friend who he's like oh you know i have like all 90 hours of the footage i'm like what 
You have, oh, you have 98 Lord. hours of the Beatles in, in, in the studio. And he's like, yeah, I've watched it. I'm like, well, yeah, I mean, I would too, you know, not in a weekend, <laughs> but well, yeah. the idea. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's exciting for, you know, us as music fans to just see sort of, you know, evolutions of like, oh yeah, I came in with this riff and then, you know, it turns into, you know, one of your favorite songs your whole life. And you're like, oh, wow, watch them working on it. So I can imagine being part, you know, and I can only imagine because again, not uh, musically inclined, but uh, mm-hmm. I can imagine sort of being in the moment and like, oh my God, I think we just found what this is that we're working on. And you're one of a, a few younger artists that I've spoken to that uh, Frank Hannon of Tesla has worked with. And personally, I mean, I think it's great. I mean, uh, Tesla's a great band and oh, I know he also has oh, his yeah. Frank Hannon band, but you know, he does, he doesn't need to be doing any of this, you know, I mean, he could, he could just go out there with Tesla and, uh, you know, oh, a lot of times no. they, you know, they just did a tour with Leonard Skinnerd. I saw them a few years ago with uh, Def Leppard and Poison, you know, they're always out there and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and you know, he could do, that's a, you probably, uh, a, a, a good living to do that. But uh, I love that he's so interested and he, and he seems like he's really involved, right? I mean, you said that, uh, you guys recorded three songs when you worked with him, right? Yeah, yeah, that was over the span of two days. So we recorded, and the main focus for those sessions were tracking the drums and bass. And if the guitar solo was really good in the moment, we kept it. And so actually, the guitar solo in this song is from that live studio session. It wasn't re-recorded or, or, uh, you know, any overdub. There's a little bit of post-delay and probably a little bit of verb on it. But other than that, it was from just in the moment recording with these two dudes that I hired out of Jackson, California. And when we went to record these songs, I was actually auditioning for people to be in my project. And so I had my ads up on Craigslist and Facebook and all these places. And a lot of them were, it was very like, I didn't, think that i was being pretentious or anything i was just like look you got to be sober you got to be on time you gotta know your stuff like that was like my base rules and so i got this message from this dude who's a bass player he's like hey man i i really dig your stuff i want to come down and audition i'm like okay so where are you at he's like oh i'm like an hour and a half past jackson and from sacramento that's already like an hour so i'm like hey man uh, if you want to make the journey, I'm totally down to jam and stuff. And so we met up, we jammed. It was really cool. He had a great vibe about him. And so because it was so far and I had my audition later in the day, I was like, hey, dude, like if you want to crash here, it's totally cool. And he's like, nah, you know, we we're, we don't really know each other, so it's fine. Uh, I'll keep in touch. And let's just, you know, if you want to work together, just let me know. And I said, okay, cool. So he left. I called Frank and I was like, dude, Frank, I just met this really killer bass player. It was awesome. He says he's got a drummer that's really fantastic that he knows that lives up there. And then Frank, being in the moment kind of guy that he is, he goes, oh, so do you think they could record this weekend? I'm like, record what? He's like, well, I got some time in the studio available. So, you know, if you want to teach them your songs that you wanted to record, and you know we could just bust them out i'm like uh 
let me give him a call. So <laughs> I called the bass player, and the bass player didn't know because I I didn't say Frank Hannon. I was just like, yeah, you know, Frank, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, Frank who? I was like, oh, you know, the guitar player Tesla. And then he's like, I'm in. I don't care what needs to happen. I'm down. Yeah. I'm like, what about the drummer? He's like, well, I'm going to make the drummer do it. And so he yeah. called the drummer. The drummer freaked out because he's known who Tesla was for a long time and his parents loved Tesla. So he's like, you're you're telling me we're going to go record with Frank Hannon at Tesla on Saturday? I said, yeah. And it was like late Monday night that we were having this conversation. <laughs> I said, but the only caveat is you guys have to live at my house for the whole week. Right. And we need that's all we need to do is I'll teach you the songs to get ready to go into the studio. He wants these three 100 percent like dialed. And they were like, yeah. OK, so I had these two dudes who I never met before. And thankfully, they were really cool guys and just really good hangs. They came down. We recorded. We busted it out. And the guys who are playing bass and drums are actually the dudes that I'm talking about. Uh, in the I'm One in Music video. So oh, they wow. just got a, a really great persona about him. And when we shot the music video for I'm Wanted, um, I was actually leaving to go to Boston to record that next day. So we recorded the music video. I got home at like 2 in the morning. I had an hour nap. And then I got up to get ready to go <laughs> to the airport to fly to Boston to record with another producer that I'm working with. Wow. And so that whole time of just working on this song has been a real, real crazy experience in a good way. Yeah, but I mean, it's uh, obviously it shows the importance of look, anybody who's used uh, Craigslist to try and find a roommate or maybe even buy concert tickets, you know, it doesn't always go mm -hmm. well. And uh, oh, yeah. you know, having an ad out there. Uh, you know, it's, uh, honestly, it seems like it's, it's great luck that it really worked out that way, but also you need to find people that are willing to put the time in, you know, just to totally. literally just a few minutes ago, I talked to these guys in a band named strange legend and their drummer was mm -hmm. talking about, you know, we auditioned a bunch of singers and I would say, he, we have like two or three songs. Uh, why don't you give them a listen and, uh, tell us what you think. And they'd show up for the audition. And, uh, you know, they asked what they thought about the songs and, and uh, uh, like half the guys were like, oh, yeah, I didn't listen to them. And it's like you had to listen to three yeah. songs, you know, maybe. You yeah, only, and I said this to him, mm -hmm. maybe you only like one of them and you can talk about it. But it's like you didn't even listen. And and it's like, yeah. I, I don't understand, you know, people trying to trying to get gigs, trying to get hired, trying to get it, you know, join a band or whatever. So it's great that you you found some guys who were like, yeah, we'll we'll blow off whatever we were gonna do this week, and mm -hmm. uh, you know live in a stranger's house, and uh, yeah. I mean that uh, it, it's got to be great to you know find people that uh, that are that dedicated to it, and let's talk a little bit about uh, I'm Wanted because I listened to it a bunch of times before I talked to you, and uh, I I think it to me. It's kind of got like a Ted Nugent vibe, uh, and I mean that in the uh, best way possible because oh, totally. You know, uh, you, you know, it, it's uh, you always have to stay with Ted. For most people, you gotta, you gotta. I, I, I can find him very entertaining. I think he can be very funny. But I also mm -hmm. understand it's like, look, you, you, let's just talk about his music for a minute. I mean, you listen to what that guy can do, and obviously the body oh, yeah. of work. You know, like songs like Free for All and Strangle, Free for All Stranglehold, 
And, you know, it, and I'm not even saying, I'm not trying to say that your song sounds like that, but I'm like, oh man, mm -hmm. I got a, like a good, like Nugent vibe off of that. And uh, so right away it got my attention and, you know, I'll always listen right to a song from somebody I'm going to talk to a few times, but uh, mm -hmm. I, uh, so it was, it was great to hear that. And um, I'm just sort of wondering now you wrote all these songs uh, yeah. yourself, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So right. Uh, what? Let's just talk about that song in particular. What do you think went into it? Were you were you listening to? Or just talk about the music for a second. Was there something that you were listening to at the time, or did it just show up in your head? I'm always interested to how this happens for musicians. Again, because I'm not musically inclined myself, so I'm always yeah. fascinated. Mm -hmm. So, what what I've told people is usually there's there's a stereotype when it comes to songwriting. So. For example, uh, I believe it was Elton John needed words in order to put music to. So what he would do is he would grab like fashion magazines or whatever, or just newspapers and get scissors, clip them out, clip them out articles, get a word for word and just shuffle it around until there was words in front of him. And off of that, till he got it to, you know, where he liked it, he would create the music. And there's a lot of people, artists, where it's quite the opposite. They need the music in right. order to write the words or in order to find the words to write the, you know, and all that stuff. So with me, I haven't really defined my writing process as the one or the other. Sometimes I have the words and sometimes I have the music. And in this case, I... I had a basic backing track down because at, at this time when I wrote this song, I was experiencing a lot of frustration. And so usually I turn the music and I made this backing track. I had this really just in your face kind of angry riff and I plotted it all out. I had the main verses and choruses and just the structure. And so I was thinking to myself, well, what am I going to write about? And at this time I was listening to a lot of kid rock and that's kind of where like the semi like rap ish kind of vibe sure. comes in. And so like cowboy was on and uh, the American badass and, and stuff like this. And so what was going on uh, when I was trying to figure out what to write about was there was a dude that I was uh, trying to get a hold of and we would, talk one day and then a couple of weeks to like a month would go by and then he'd pick back up right where we left off like nothing happened and so <laughs> that was that was really frustrating to me being young you know i'm 24 now and so i've learned to not you know blow people up and and what i mean by that is i've learned to uh, growing up not to cuss people out <laughs> and <laughs> and use yeah. my in the heat of the moment rage to you know this is blah 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 so instead of doing that i wrote down how i was feeling and to park my brain i would go on social media and just you know just kind of log out so to speak from what i was doing and when i would go on social media there'd be people writing negative comments on my stuff so that just kind of pent me up even more yeah. so i wrote down a lot more of what i was feeling and and not with the intent of a story but just 
a diary, I guess you would say. So once I deleted those negative comments and <laughs> because it just doesn't look right for me to go and tell some other dude off who's, you know, in Wisconsin or something like that, that just you ain't going to get a good rep if you're sitting on your Facebook or whatever, responding to all the trolls. So, yeah, I deleted my comments. I wrote down how I was feeling. I closed my book. And then I left it there to sit for a couple of days to where I could look at it with a fresh point of view. And when I was reviewing my notes, I came to the conclusion of two words. And that's actually the title of the song, which is I'm Wanted. And to me, it was basically telling myself that regardless of what's going on, however down in the dumps I'm feeling... I'm going to be able to achieve what I'm going to go after. So all my goals and stuff, like I want to tour with like Def Leppard or like Dirty Honey or Greta Van Fleet or play yeah. in like Russia and stuff like this. So this is kind of myself telling myself just to keep going. So it's kind of like my little pep talk, if that makes sense. Oh, no, it definitely makes sense. And it's interesting because, you know, any creative endeavor that you have, the, uh, you know, the the best and worst thing you can do is, uh, you know, solicit feedback from uh, people, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll look at, uh, you know, a show or an interview I've done, and there could be 10 of the greatest, nicest compliments, but then there's mm -hmm. one that uh you know says something and and sometimes it's like the exact thing that you're like yeah i really did mess that part up and it's like yeah. you'll ignore the 90 percent of the good ones oh yeah like, damn it there was right. this one yeah and and it's just like how did that how did i let that ruin my day you know and uh you mm -hmm. turning it into lyrics is such a constructive way to do that you know uh, you know, because uh, yeah, I've definitely written back to some of those, and then I'm just oh, like, what yeah. am I doing? Like, why? Yeah, yeah, why am I doing this? And yeah, of course, I'll write back to the nice ones right away. Oh, thank you so oh, yeah. much. And then it's like, where do you get off having an opinion mm -hmm. that is different than me? Yeah. So uh, that's actually really interesting as as part of the process. And uh, you know, you're you're sort of talking about the guy you were trying to get a hold of. And, you know, I guess when you're, you know, in a creative endeavor, it's almost like, it's almost like dating in a way, you know, where it's like, oh, yeah. hey, that was fun. Let's hang out again. Hey, remember how I said we should hang out again? Shouldn't we hang out again? Mm -hmm. Hey, what's going yeah. on? That's not going to help, you know? Right. So, no. Uh, yeah. I think it's, uh, it's really, uh, for me, it's a really interesting way to, uh, to think about it uh so yeah so that's uh, i'm wanted and there's the the video for that uh so you've talked about you know you've had a few songs out and uh i i, I sort of like along the lines of what you're thinking you know in terms of looking ahead towards 2022 you know Mm -hmm. what some of the options are you know you mentioned uh you know you mentioned dirty honey and i know that uh, they're they're heading out with uh wolfgang van halen and you know it's it's exciting when you hear about you know two young up-and-coming bands and uh so yeah i mean obviously anything uh like that that comes along i think that uh, obviously that's great to get exposure and Oh, for totally. me obviously mm -hmm. you know look wolfgang van halen yes his last name is van halen but you know, people still get excited for him. He had a great opportunity opening for GNR uh, this past year. And yeah. I think it's great when you see that and you see the reaction that a band like Dirty Honey has because 
it's you know you'll you'll you look musicians who i like a lot they'll say like yeah there's no reason to make new music yeah rock and roll is dead and then mm -hmm. it's like well no you just have to kind of look in the right places you know you know yeah. the way that the industry was you know even tw 10 years ago 20 years ago 30, that doesn't exist anymore but there is a demand for it people do want to hear it and uh obviously you know i hear people say this all the time that it's like it's gonna be these younger up-and-coming artists like yourself that if this music's going to survive it's you know i was also talking earlier that uh, a couple weeks ago in vegas i saw the rolling stones and they still put on an amazing show but how really? many more years are the Rolling Stones going to be, you know, playing football stadiums? You know, yeah. At some I point, was, go ahead. I, I was pretty shocked that they're still playing. I mean, yeah, you can't take the music out of the musician. That's for sure. sure I mean, that's yeah. why Leonard Skinner's still around. You yeah. know, but yeah, when Charlie died, I was like, oh man, this is, this is kind of. I mean, they still sound amazing, but it was, you know, it's just something's missing. You know. Yeah, no, and and uh, Steve Jordan, who was playing drums for them that night, he's phenomenal. He was tremendous. The band sounded great, but it is sort of weird, you know, when yeah. you're like, oh my god, Charlie's always there, you know, and uh, right. as 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 cool as the Stones are, you see him there in the back, you know, and just sort of like you know, like you know, Mick is running all over the stage, and uh, you know, mm -hmm. but uh, Charlie like barely moves, and you know he's able to do that. And yeah, so uh, I, I I love that idea uh, for you getting out there. And uh, so are there? Is it like a mixture of? I'm sure Frank Frank probably has it all mapped out. You're going to do these songs and hopefully play these shows. What uh, what does 2022 look like for you? Just in the you know the broad sense right now. Well. At this time, it's looking like there's a potential for uh, my very first EP to be released in the beginning of 2022. Right. So I don't know whether it's January or February. We're wanting to shoot for or January right. uh, with the sole purpose of, you know, starting to establish myself more as an artist. Like the singles and stuff are great. But it's the game plan that we're kind of doing with those is to like kind of start to trickle my name out into a broader audience. And so I haven't decided to narrow myself, as you've noticed with these three songs, they're very different. The River, sure. Take a Walk in My Shoes, and I'm Wanted. And I haven't decided to like specifically narrow myself to one genre or the other. And I think Carlos Santana put it best when he was being interviewed because he just released an album last year or two years ago, I believe it was. And they were asking him, they're like, so what kind of an album is it? Is it going to be like Americana or blues? Or are you going for more like a soul pop kind of deal? Cause you have your stuff with Rob Thomas and you have, you yeah, know, sure. the original lineup with Santana's yeah, and all that stuff. Yeah. So where, where are you going? And he's like, well, I don't define myself as a blues guitar player or a rock guitar player or you know a hispanic artist i am who i am and whenever i write music is whatever's going to come out on the album so it could go from blues to hard rock to you know very smooth yeah. kind of mellow music so that's where i'm at mentally when it comes to my songwriting process i don't want to 
define, so to speak, myself as one specific kind of genre. I, I think that makes sense. Right. I, no, that I absolutely. Hope no, that absolutely makes sense. And uh, I'm going to uh, correct myself for uh, sounding stupid a second ago. I meant Black Magic Woman. I said Witchy Woman, which is the Eagles. Both great songs. Uh, no, both from oh, the yeah. same time period. But right. uh, yeah. But see, look, I'm open. I, I'd be leaving myself open to those kind of YouTube comments we're talking about. Like, how stupid <laughs> is this guy? That's an Eagles song. So I know what I said. And uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's interesting because I do remember. You know, li I listened to the River again, and I kind of remember. And again, you know, it's just it's sort of easy for the audience's sake to compare it to like, oh, I get a vibe from another artist. And that one had kind mm -hmm. of a Black Crows vibe to me. And then I was talking about uh, I'm Wanted having like a, a Nugent vibe and, you know, both tremendous groups of musicians, but very oh, yeah. different, you know. And totally. uh, so I think it it's very representative. So, yeah, I think getting an EP out there would be great to just hear the different things. And, you know, you you know uh i believe dirty honey and greta van fleet i mean i know greta van fleet for sure they both started out with just eps you know instead mm -hmm. of like let's wait until we have 10 12 songs you know let's right. just sort of get our name out there and uh yeah i mean that definitely seems like you know and again having somebody like frank helping you uh, navigate all this uh obviously uh, you know he's it, it helps that it's not just you know frank has been putting out albums for 35 years it's also he's still out mm -hmm. there still working with new artists and understands how it's going so yeah yeah i think that'd be great and uh you know getting some uh some live gigs out there obviously that always helps too so uh hopefully mm -hmm. hopefully there's some of that uh in store for you in uh in 2022 uh i just wanted to ask you about a couple of uh there were some interesting things on your uh your youtube channel and one of them is obviously it's uh -huh. from a uh, right after really I talked to you, but uh, uh -huh. there was this uh, montage of you paying tribute to some of the artists we lost last year. So oh, yeah. Leslie West of Mountain, Eddie Van Halen, Peter Green and Fleetwood mm -hmm. Mac and Neil Peart. Uh, and it, it's, uh, you know, obviously those were huge names and huge losses, but uh, yeah, it was kind of a cool video where it was just the, the camera was in a weird place. And we we're just wa literally watching your hands play guitar. Oh, thanks. Uh, talk about uh, doing that. And obviously, you know, who, who in music wouldn't say count those as influences, you know? So uh, right. that must've, uh, that must've been, you know, sad to have to pay tribute to those, but it must've been fun to play those songs. Oh yeah. Well, the thing with that video is I actually had a, a really, it was just, <laughs> it was a super janky setup. I like almost <laughs> duct taped my phone to my headstock on my guitar. So that's why like normal <laughs> normal people have a GoPro, they put it on their guitar, it's like angled correctly. I had to mirror my phone to my TV and it was upside down. So I was like <laughs> doing my best to get it on my headstock. And then I would have to like record it, do a little like demo kind of thing, look at the video, see it's upside down, flip my phone. So it was a lot of that. But I felt really compelled to do that last year because it was, I believe that was towards the end of the year when I yeah. made it, almost the beginning of this year. And I was just looking at, at all the the deaths that we had had, my major influences. And like you said, you know, Leslie West and Van Halen and Neil Peart. Unfortunately, I'm not a drummer, so I couldn't do anything with that. Yeah. But I, what I chose to put in that video were my favorite riffs that I had learned on the guitar when i was first picking it up most of those 
Mind and Spirit of the Radio were actually the very first songs that I ever taught myself on the guitar. Oh, wow. And so, like, you really got me and Mississippi Queen and um, there's a couple more. Oh, yeah. and Peter Green, Black Peter Magic Green Woman. Yeah. And um, or, as so, I yeah. Call, or, or as I call that song, Witchy Woman. <laughs> yeah. And so with that video, I really wanted to kind of pay homage to how I began playing guitar. And obviously, um, I'm just for my own sake, I'm working on my own production value, but I was still pretty happy with the uh, patches that I was able to create for those songs with my guitar and, you know, make a little bit of a mix and stuff like that to present to the world. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously those uh, influences, uh, you know, would be, like I said, for so many people, uh, there were a couple other videos that I thought were uh, things that I wouldn't have thought of uh, also on the uh, Austin Mo YouTube page. Uh, mm -hmm. Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer, which ah, is a phenomenal oh song, but a di completely different genre. And then uh, yeah. sort of like a weird uh, rendition of the Gap Bands you dropped bomb on me where it seemed like you're playing oh yeah like Tahoe. <laughs> but uh you know i mean and it's like you know peter gabriel i think people think of basically for the sort of those few songs from the mid 80s and mm -hmm. uh, obviously there's the the period that he was in genesis you know there there's sort of that early part of his career you know just yeah. a tremendous talent and you know he just like churned out like four of the hugest songs of the 80s in just a couple year period and oh, uh, you know i mean obviously he's still at it but uh it's not necessarily that uh you know you're not going to think of somebody who's like yeah i'm playing leslie west and i'm playing eddie van halen <laughs> and and then it's like oh yeah but also peter gabriel so uh, yeah. was that just something that like i don't know your parents liked or did you just find that on your own i just thought it was interesting it was such an interesting choice because i've always thought that's a great song i mean it's a great pop it's really a pop rock song but it's oh yeah the, the, definitely you know, there's in, in no way am i marginalizing it's a tremendous song from i think i was like 10 when that came out and so uh, mm -hmm. i have fond memories of that song uh so how do you come across stuff like that just uh just listening to everything do you have uh, you know relatives that, that like some of that stuff or how do you uh, come to peter gabriel well when i was growing up my dad had a we had a really cool home theater system it was sherwin williams monitors and we had a 20 inch sub and a harman kardon power amp and he bought it in the mid 80s and it was designed to go into a nightclub at the wow. time <laughs> and so it sounded just anything you put on it pristine rather it's a CD or what have you. So we had Peter Gabriel's greatest hits. We had, uh, I just forgot the other song that you mentioned. Um, the Gap, Gap Band. Band. We had the Gap Band. We had, <laughs> we would go from that to Bad Company, to Montrose, to Dio, nice. to Merle Haggard. So anything that was put through it sounded great. Led Zeppelin. But the thing that I remember the most about Peter Gabriel's Sledgehammer is the intro man that just yeah. makes me stop whatever i'm doing every time that flute i don't even know what it is it's a synth or something yeah but it just it encapsulated me then as a kid and when the pandemic hit and i saw an opportunity to be able to show that kind of music because i can't play that as a three-piece 
there's no, horns, no. there's there's more drums, there's you know, there's so many layers to it. And so what I would do is for my Facebook live streams, that's actually captured from a Facebook live stream. So I just okay. ripped it and nice. posted it just, you know, to show people that I'm not just blues or rock. I have <laughs> right a little right. more fun than that. And so I would look up just to see if anybody had found the studio stems and uploaded it as multi-tracks. So like for Sledgehammer, for example, I just typed in Sledgehammer, Peter Gabriel, multi-track, and somebody actually had the actual album's stems from that studio Oh wow! and posted it on some blog. And so praying it wasn't a virus, I downloaded it and it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. And there's like 20 some odd tracks and I removed every single guitar track that I could find. And there's, I think there might've been close to like eight or nine wow. different layers of different things that I didn't even know that were there. So that's what I would do for my Facebook lives. And obviously I, I had a lot of fun doing it and it's not perfect. Like there's a lot of people who would go in and like redo the vocals or redo the guitar. But for me, it was more or less just to have fun with it kind of a vibe. And if people enjoyed it, great. And if people didn't, you know, it's not their cup of tea. <laughs> Peter Gabriel is a very specific, I think, acquired taste in yeah. my opinion. Yeah, look, the key to what you said earlier was that uh, your dad would play Peter Gabriel's greatest hits. And uh, I think that's an artist that I could enjoy the greatest hits. And, you know, not to demean what might be some of the album tracks, it's probably mm -hmm. not going to be stuff that I seek out. And, you know, like I, the title of yeah. that album was So. I don't know that I'm going to listen to all the songs on So and be like, oh, I like them just as much as mm -hmm. Sledgehammer and Big Time was the uh, other big hit. From, oh, from yeah. That. And, you know, he had Shock the Monkey and uh, Your Eyes yeah. was uh, was the, the ballad oh, that ended up. Yeah, uh -huh. ended up in... Uh, uh, oh, the Cameron Crowe movie. Uh, I hate. I, this is what happens when you, you get older. You forget the mm -hmm. uh, the name of that movie. Uh, but uh, in any case, uh, yeah. So it was. Uh, it was. It was really fun to hear that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's. You know, you definitely saw a lot of artists doing that sort of a thing with the. Uh, you know, during the pandemic, it was a lot of like, I'm just going to play some of my. You know, a lot of musicians would play some of their obscure songs just sitting on their living room couch, and right. uh, you know they would take requests, and it's like, mm -hmm. well, I don't know if I remember how to play that song, but uh, I will here definitely, goes. <laughs> yeah. uh, and and uh, I was about to Google it, and then it came to me. The movie I'm talking about is Say Anything. And uh, oh, I, yeah, I hate yeah, yeah. myself when I forget it. You know, when I forget something that's fairly obscure, it's like, yeah, that happens. But uh, that's mm -hmm. a very important movie from that time period. But in any case, yeah. So that must have been fun to be able to go on Facebook Live and do stuff like that. And uh, yeah, you know, I mean, it's uh, it, it's definitely a product of a lot of you know that you were talking about. You know, the musicians weren't out there, so they were doing that sort of stuff. And totally. uh, we got some really unique stuff out of it. So you know, it might not have been something that you otherwise would have done is uh you know like oh let me try to tackle uh peter gabriel sledgehammer uh yeah. austin oh, yeah. i uh i look forward to whenever the ep comes out hearing more music and 
you know, the, the variety of uh, what you're talking about, some of the different sounds that'll be there. And uh, hopefully uh, there's uh, no shortage of live gigs for you in 2022. What's the best way for people to keep in touch with you? I know that your website seems to be sort of uh, under construction. So uh, what's the best place for people to, to keep tabs on what's going on? Is it your YouTube channel? Yeah. So uh, really anywhere, uh, Facebook, I have Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. If you just type in on Facebook and Instagram, Austin Mo official, I should be, you know, the long haired dude who looks like this. <laughs> and, nice. and if you type in really any of my songs on YouTube, either the river, take a walk on my shoes, or I'm wanted, which is my latest music video that came out a couple of days ago. Right. Um, They'll have all of our links down in the description of that video, and you can just follow us for whenever we play your cities. Right, absolutely. Well, uh, I will. Uh, I will keep tabs. I will, uh, you know, do another dive through. Uh, who knows what other videos I didn't even find on your YouTube page? Uh, <laughs> I can't wait to find it. Uh, Austin, it was great to talk to you again, and I look forward to doing it again soon. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks again, uh, Austin Mo. Step aside and walk me right